0: Thanks again for being here and I want to thank all of you for, uh, I've had many people uh, either tell me verbally or send me a note or an email or a text saying how much they've enjoyed the series in the Lord's, uh, uh, this Lord's Prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer that we know, uh, but the Lord's final large prayer at the end of uh, the farewell discourse in John chapter 17. So thank you all for the encouragement. I hope it's been meaningful to you. We're going to finish it today. I'm going to do a a summary, try to wrap it all up. And so I invite you to open your bulletin. Uh, It may be hard to follow in your Bible because what I've done is I have pulled out the seven uh, petitions that Jesus makes in this prayer. Now, each petition is surrounded with context, and uh, there's 26 verses, so it's really interesting that he uh, prayed this prayer with only seven petitions, but in those seven petitions, uh, you really need to read the context in order to understand everything about it. That's what we've done the past six weeks. Today, I'm going to focus just on the petitions so you can see the heart of your Savior it's very easy, as i 've told you it, to, for people in general in the in the world in general, to talk about God in an abstract way. Oh yes, I believe in some creator, uh, I believe in a God up there and and uh, uh whatever it is he she it them, it could be anything like that uh Uh, And it's easy for people, I think, to speak of God in an abstract term. But if you want to create a dividing line between the gods that we make up, the gods that we create in our own hearts and minds to satisfy our needs, and the God who truly is and who exists, the dividing line is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mention that. And you're no longer talking about God in some abstract way, you're talking about God as we know Him through the mediation of His Son, our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus brought judgment to this world by His very appearing. He is the one that becomes the sword that divides between households and friends and neighbors and countries and cultures. He divides. And we we want to think of Jesus being real sweet and He loves everybody and He does love everybody. But we're supposed to love Him back and how we do that and why we do that is all important for our eternal salvation. Now you know in our culture today people hate hearing that because we Uh, especially those of us in America who have been brought up with just exorbitant rights. We have rights to everything. And you can see rights in our country being assaulted from the left and the right of the political spectrum. You're kidding yourself if you think that one of those two sides will protect you. They won't, they can't, And at the end of the day, they'll serve themselves, not you. On the other hand, here is a great God and Savior who comes and says in John chapter 13, I will wash your feet, I will serve you, I will give my life for you. So that you can live free in any culture, in any nation, in any place, be it Afghanistan, Soviet Union, China, North Korea, you name it. You can live there in victory because of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a faith worth you giving your total and complete allegiance to. Amen? Okay, I hope you're with me. All right, let's read it. Look in your bulletin. I'll start in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify or make them holy in your truth. Your word is truth. I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. This is the word of the Lord. In this list of petitions you really see it's distilled I I wanted to do this so that you could see the heart of your Savior and your God the one to whom when you get baptized whether you're an infant or an adult we baptize both and I apologize for the uh, baptism today that uh, um, Rob and Gloria couldn't be here they have family members and so we were going to have a baptism for Andrew Uh, But we'll do that at a later date. But when we we become baptized as adults, or when parents bring their children to the table for baptism, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves before God, and He, this is the difference between us and other churches, He's the one making promises to us. We are applying those promises in our life through baptism, whether it's us or our children. We're saying, I believe you, Father. I trust you. I trust you, and therefore I will be baptized or I will baptize my children because I trust you. I trust your promises. And in this prayer, you're seeing Jesus make his heart. He is opening his heart to you. Now, I know a lot of you well. Uh, uh, I I mean, I'm married. I have a wife. Uh, I'm not sure if she is here today, V. See, she's coming later and later each week. I think she's checking out other churches. That's what I think. She's shopping for churches. No, she will be here, I, I, I think. I don't know. <laughs> All right. As close as we are to people, we, we can never get down to the bottom. We don't really know them. But you can know Jesus And He knows you. He knows you all the way to the bottom. He loves you. He has a heart for you. That we, if we really knew it, we would walk through this world with joy, without fear. But I understand there's things that just crowd in. He understood that too. It's why He prayed. He prayed because He knew what our life was going to look like in this world, in the struggles we have. Whether they're internal or external, makes no difference. And so this is the heart of your Savior. Let's look at it very quickly. Look at verses 1 and 5. He prays for glory, His glory, and that His glory would reflect back to God, His Father. Now, at the first blush, you look at it and you say, oh my, that kind of sounds kind of selfish. He's praying for His glory. But I explain to you what glory is. Glory is all that God is it's everything he is it's his nature his his it's his way it's who he is and what he does now you tell me what would what would the if you really understood who god is and what he does if you believe that then why in the world would that glory not be something that you would exalt in your heart and mind and that you would long for because what we are bereft of in our lives is that glory In the journey, that's the first thing we teach our guys in the journey. Randy Pope wrote a little book called The Story of Glory. And that is what we lost in the Garden of Eden. That's what humanity, whatever the story that you want to believe about the Garden is is immaterial. But the story behind it is that we lost something that we can never get back. We didn't lose the image of God. We lost the glory associated with the image of God. It became tainted. It became something you can't get a hold of anymore. And we've been looking for it ever since. We've been searching. And every one of you knows you're, you want something. If we could peel back all the layers and find out what's really and truly important to you, that is your God. There it is. Take it away. And you will fall to pieces. But your God, the heart of your Savior Jesus, went to a cross naked, bereft of every friend in the world, betrayed, beaten to a pulp, even His Father, in some mysterious way, we don't understand all of it, but even the Father forsook Him. I don't know what that means and neither do you. Whatever it was, there He was for glory. How can you get glory from that? That's a question we should be asking ourselves every day of our life. How did He do that? How did He get glory from the cross? But He said He would get glory from His cross. In John Chapter 12, the hour has come, he said, that I glorify you on the cross. Jesus also is the glory of God. We looked at that in the and, and look, I've, I've been very careful. I've not quoted any scriptures uh, in this series that are not in the gospel of John or one of John's three little epistles because John understood what he was doing. He's trying to tell you who you serve and who you love. Not an abstract God, but the God who really is, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the glory of God. And his life, his death, his resurrection in some mysterious way. Now, I don't even know. Theologians have... have Wondered how do you how do you increase God's glory? How would you uh, magnify God's glory? How would you make it more glorious than it already is? I can't answer that. Nobody else can. No human being can imagine it. But Jesus did it in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. He took the glory of God and He did something to it to where it is greater and beyond anything that was before or after. He took it to a whole other place. Because He loved you and gave His life for you and for this world. The Word became human. Now I'm reading from a different translation. The Word became human and He made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen His glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God is near to the Father's heart and has revealed God to us. Folks, have the intellectual integrity, at least, to admit that if God is just a conglomeration of what you want or what some religion tells you it is or whatever, that it's really just you. You're just creating God in your own image to satisfy your own needs. Because the gods that we create will never cross us. They will never violate our will. They'll never bother with anything. They'll always agree with us. And if they don't, we simply reshape them so that they will. Christianity is not a religion like that. And the reason it's not is because of Jesus. If He hadn't come, I don't know what, how we would have ever understood the Father. None of us would have been able to. There was a big gap in our understanding and He came and He not only filled that gap with understanding, with knowledge of Himself, but He also came and became relational so that we could touch Him, see Him, feel His hands and feet and see His wound in His side and actually relate to Him. I can't relate to an invisible God nor the Holy Spirit. It's too abstract. So what does God do out of His love for us? He sends His own glory to be enfleshed that's what the incarnation is so that he becomes a person so you can hug him and get your arms around him and weep in his put your head in his in his chest and weep your eyes out and he will never turn you away glory The second thing he does is he prays for his his disciples those immediate men in his room and in verse 20 you see he prays for Everyone who will believe because of them. So what I've done is I've condensed this to show you what he's praying for. For all of us, all of us. Listen carefully. The first thing he does is he prays for protection. Look at verses 11 and 15. When you have your, if you have your Bible, you can look at them now, or you can look at them later. But in verse 11 and 15, he prays for protection keep, he says, keep them in your name in verse 11. In verse 15 he says, keep them from the evil one. This word keep in Greek means to cause them to continue. Cause them to persevere. Cause them to be preserved. In the Reformed faith we have a great set of doctrines uh, named after a flower it's called tulip and all of you in here that are good reformed people you know what tulip stands for and you'd be willing to bet your soul on those five tulips except for when it gets to the P and then we start to struggle even us right Because the P has to do with assurance. How do you know God loves you? How do you know you'll stick? How do you know He will save you? How do you know? Are you good enough? The answer to that is no. Have I done enough? The answer to that is no. How do you know? How do you go to bed at night? How can you be sure, absolutely sure, when you're laying in a hospital bed and you don't know about tomorrow? How can you be sure? Right here. Do you think Jesus' prayer was not answered? I know He doesn't answer some of my prayers because I ask for ridiculous things. Like right now, I want a Harley Davidson. All Right? Of course. How do you know His prayer was answered? Keep them. Preserve them. We believe in perseverance of the saints. That's the P in tulip. We believe in perseverance of the saints because God is the one who is preserving us, who's holding us. Even in our doubts and our fears and all the rest, he will hold on to you. He promised he would. He prayed to his Father and it was answered. And you think, well, but sometimes I doubt. Okay, fine. You doubt. Big deal. Welcome to the club. Sometimes I'm afraid. Welcome to the club. Sometimes I'm maybe I rejected him. He'll come get you. Do you know that? I bet if we stopped right now and I asked you a question, a personal question, if have you ever re- rejected God or said, hey, "I'm not interested in you anymore." Or, you know, I don't know if this Christianity stuff's all that. If you were honest, I've done it, I don't know how many times. I haven't done it in the past few days, but. Protection. Perseverance. Preservation of the saints. An act of God's sovereignty. He will not let you go. And so you can be assured that when your behavior stinks, He loves you the same way as when your behavior is exemplary. He makes no distinction because He sees everything. He doesn't just see that moment of your, your lapse in your sin. Now, can you, take, can you take that for granted? Can you presume upon His grace? Absolutely not. And when you do, you're on dangerous ground, I will tell you. What about unity? Look at verse 11 again, but the second part. He prays for unity. He prays that we would be one even as He is one. I with you, you and me, us and them, they and us. I mean, this. what He's saying to us, folks, He's saying, if you will trust Me. Listen, let me paraphrase. If you trust Me, I will take your life with all your mess and all your junk and from now until you die, I will take all of that I want you to hear me, listen carefully. I'll take all your junk, all your mess, all your sin, all your doubts, all your questions, all your fears, all your lapses, all your failures, weaknesses. I'll take it all and I will weave it like a fabric into my life and it will become indestructible. Because the unity that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit share together one divinity cannot be divided, cannot even be assaulted. Nothing can touch it. And so he says, trust me and I will weave your life into my life so that your life now takes on my life and it cannot be destroyed. Not now, not in eternity Not by death, not by the Democrats, not by the Republicans, not by the Taliban, not by ISIS, not by anybody. Nothing can assault you. Nothing can hurt you. You can suffer now with complete assurance that that suffering will not be in vain Families are struggling now, wondering if the, the, their, the, the price that their families paid, the utter and complete price of death of their loved ones in foreign lands, in foreign wars, was in vain. And let me tell you, I wish I could tell every one of those families, I wish I could just sit down and tell them, your loved one's life is not in vain. And if they ask me, how do you know, how can you be sure that my loved one's life was not in vain? And I could tell them with absolute straight face and total and complete conviction, their life was not in vain because Jesus came and died. Whether you believe it or not doesn't matter. But this man came to the earth and he died, and by doing so, he did something to death that even unbelievers don't understand. He made suffering and sacrifice okay because He promised that He would, at the end of time, He would be the perfect judge and would resolve all things. So when He tells us, I pray that they would be one, He's asking you to trust Him so that, you can be, that your life can be woven into the fabric of His eternal and divine life in such a way that you don't have to be afraid. This life is going to leave you empty at some point. I don't know when. It could be when you're 80. It could be when you're 66 like me. It could be when you're 8 years old. I don't know. And neither do you. But at some point, it's not going to give you back what you want. If the fabric of your life is, is wrapped up in something else. In the here and now. What you can squeeze out of your idols. They'll never satisfy you. Instead he's saying, you know, weave your life into mine so that you can be one Have integrity and strength that cannot be assaulted by anything or anybody. Then you can go and live your life out there amidst your friends with sacrifice. If God brings blessings into your life and you get a Harley Davidson, you can really enjoy it. If God gives you the dreams that you want and all that, good. You can thank Him for it and enjoy it. But it doesn't control you. It's something to be grateful and thankful for, but it's not good enough to be your life. Listen to what Jesus said, While I was with them, this is from John, he's he's talking about you and I, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me, I guarded them. Not one of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. That's in John 17, verse 12. But listen to these. All the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life, they will never perish. No one will snatch them from My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Can you imagine how secure that makes you and I? And yet, I don't know. We just wring our hands. We're so worried about everything. And look, there are things to legitimately be concerned about. But when those things start to control you, they're not okay anymore. And the pastors of this church, Dawson and I and Ugo and Gary and Rick and David, we have been charged with one thing, to guard your soul against the wolves out there in this world. And so I hope you will not be angry with us when we question those wolves, even if they belong to you even if they're your wolves. I don't want to enter into eternity and have Jesus ask me, why didn't you protect my sheep? Why didn't you feed my sheep? Why didn't you care for them? When they were going, when they were eating sour food, something that would kill them, why didn't you speak up? But there's a hostility, a disunity that has crept in, to the American church, into the PCA, our own denomination, and into our own little tiny dinky presbytery that is breaking our hearts. Disunity when our Savior prayed for unity. The means of grace, this is the third one he's talking about. This is beautiful. In the Reformed theology we talk about the means of grace. And they are things like uh, prayer, the sacraments, the preaching of the word. But also one of the means of grace is the word itself. The scriptures themselves are a means of grace to us. It's how we connect with God objectively, not subjectively. You know, I have no, I have no, uh, I could, I've never been successful trying to talk somebody out of when they come to me and they say, you know, I feel like God is telling me this, or I think God has showed me that, or the Holy Spirit told me this. What do we, what do we have to do? Go, okay, How am I, who might argue with the Holy Spirit? If He told you that the moon is made of cheese, maybe it is. And yet, Christians have have eaten this up since day one. They will just tell you all kinds of crazy stuff because their heart is not embedded in objective truth. And that objective truth is in your Bible. Can I get a weak amen for that? It's in your Bible. You're not going to find anything. You can distort a lot of things. folks. You can Photoshop. You can deep fake. You can do all kinds of stuff right now. But why aren't you in your Bible every day praying, reading, understanding what God has given us? If somebody tells me the Holy Spirit told me thus and so, okay, whatever. I have no way of knowing if that's true or not. But when I read this, I read this, look at 17, sanctify or make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. I know now that I need the Holy Scripture in my life because the Holy Scripture is what tells me who and what God is and who and what Jesus is. Otherwise, I can just make it up. I can can make it anything I want. It could be this candle. By the way, these aren't even real. Do you all notice that? They don't melt. They just sit up here and sparkle. Perfect example of an idol. I'm going to have to get some wax candles now. I shouldn't have said that. All right. You get the point, folks. A means of grace is His Word. For goodness sakes. Spend time in your Bible. Spend time in Bible studies. Get with a group of people so you can understand your Bible. Come to church so you can hear at least once a week something from your Bible. All right. The importance of Scripture, we cannot overstate it. Finally, and this is probably the place where I think it's hard. I get choked up thinking about it. I'm going to do my best right now not to get emotional because even though I'm from the Middle East, I want to be remain calm and be like an Anglo person. But this right here fires every jet in me. I'm holding on because I want to go. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire those you've given me may be with me where I am forever. You want to know the heart of this man? You want to know the heart of the God that he shows you? with all of the pollution in on with all the mistakes we've made with all the junk and i don't some of you don't have much junk in your life i have a lot of junk in my life if you knew you would half of you would run out the door in the back you say I, I didn't know he was like that you have no idea and if i knew your junk i'd run out the back door with ugo he and i would go we'd run for our lives But Jesus knows. And He says, it's okay. I will go up on a cross for you. I will spend the last drop of my blood for you so that you can be with me. What kind of a person does that? I only want to be around people that are like me or like me. I don't want to be around some of you. Ick. He says, no. Father, this is his prayer. This is his heart, my friends. I want them to be with me. Forever, not for the weekend. Forever. The result of the cross, folks, is that we are going to be with him forever. Not in a cloud, not up there in some ethereal existence that is so... No, here. His life, the fact that He spent His life on that cross meant that we could have not, no more creation, new creation, new Jerusalem, new birth, new life, new me. Not the old me dies, but it's not really gone. I can always look at it and say, wow, thank God that's dead. And I can be new, I can be refreshed, I can have hope. Viktor Frankl wrote this amazing book called The Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote it 90 days after he got out of Auschwitz. He was a psychiatrist, Jewish psychiatrist that lost everything. And he said the difference between the people in the concentration camp who either died from hopelessness or became Animals and monsters and preyed on their fellow uh, prisoners and, and concentration camp people. The difference was hope. What did they have their hope in? The future. Where was that anchored? And those people that had hope, he said, they walked into the camps and they were either reciting the Lord's Prayer or the Shema, one or the other. But they were looking forward ahead. Not pie in the sky, but reality. Because they had a, a, something grounded in their soul that was real. I want them to be with me, Father. I don't know what's going on in your life, folks. I'm sure, you know, I probably don't want to know. If it's anything like mine, I don't want to know. But to know this, to know that this man loves me this way, to know that this God sent His Son so that He could have me forever should crush your heart and hundreds should rip, you should be born again. That's all born again is. It's coming to the realization that, God, my, my God. Let me finish with this. I've, haven't shared this with you for a number of years. There's a, there's a little story. It's totally fictional, but it's to make a point. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. Abraham Lincoln went down to the slave block to buy back to, to buy a slave girl. As the slave girl looked at the tall, homely-looking white man bidding her on her with money. She figured he was just another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. Lincoln won the bid and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, what does that mean? And he said, it means you're free. Does that mean... She said that I can say whatever I want to say. Lincoln said, yes, my dear. You can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes. You can be whatever you want to be. She said, does that mean... I can go wherever I want to go and he said yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And with tears streaming down her face she says, then I'll go with you, I'll go with you. That's all he wants. Will you trust him? I pray you will. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy that endures forever. Truly, as Hugo prayed, there's no one like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath. You alone are God, the king of the universe. And you loved us in this way. You gave your son for us. We pray, Father, that as we come to your table that you will feed us in our hearts by faith that we might be united to him and him with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.